Hello and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network. Today is Friday, January 11th, 2019. Uh, I am your host, Doug. With me in our virtual studio from all over the planet are Tiffany and Erica. Morning. Good morning. And today we are joined by our very special guests. Um, we're welcoming them back to the show. Uh, you may have heard uh, them on our last show, which was about a year and a bit ago. Uh, it is uh, James Levinsky and Linnea Snyder, who are traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Happy to be back on the show with you guys. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So Linnea and James both received their training in Boston at the New England School of Acupuncture and in San Francisco at the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Their training includes acupuncture, herbal medicine, nutrition and treatment modalities like cupping, moxibustion, and massage. So maybe to start off with, we can maybe just talk about it. I know we talked about it on the last show, but um, many of our listeners probably don't know. Um, you can maybe tell how you guys got into um, this line of practice. Um, well, I would say for me, it was actually receiving acupuncture, which I guess for a lot of people that might be the case, but I, I was very um, impressed and uh, surprised by the way that it affected me when I had my first treatment. So, you know, I, I expected based on what I knew that I would feel relaxed, that it would um, help me with my stress. Um, I didn't know that it would have such a profound emotional impact on how I was feeling. I didn't even know mm. that I was, um, you know, that I was withholding any emotion or that maybe I would feel better if I um, was able to, in this case, I, I was able to cry. And um, it was one of those moments where, you know, it felt like this total release. And then afterwards, I felt lighter. And I was like, wow, what just happened, you know? Um, and it, it, it sparked my curiosity um, about how our bodies store emotional experiences. And a lot of times in the moment that something happens, we don't necessarily have the time or the space to process it fully. And sometimes there's this kind of buildup in the body. So um, became very curious about how acupuncture can address that. For me, I think uh, I think I talked about this a little bit the last time we were on. Um, when I was a kid, I used to get car sick, and um, at first, you know, I tried Dramamine and um, maybe Benadryl or something like that, but it made me really sleepy. Which, you know, on a long car ride is okay. Um, but my my mom, at some point, somebody told her about these things called C bands, which are um, mm. pressure wristbands, and they they stimulate a point on the wrist that's pretty well known for um, having an anti-nausea effect. Uh, so that was when I was a little kid, and then later on when I was in college, um, I got I started to get more in, interested in health in general, and um, I I found a book on acupressure and started giving myself acupressure treatments um, mm. in addition to you know, Reiki and other things that I was doing at the time. And then um, 
I guess about around 2011, 2012. It's interesting because I started getting regular acupuncture treatments, kind of like Linnea, um, for, for stress. I, I was working um, two or three jobs at the time, and um, I started having some problems because I was so stressed out, and um, uh, so I started seeing somebody and getting acupuncture treatments. And I was, I had been, I had been in therapy for a little while, um, but I was really kind of blown away by how a couple needles in my hands and feet and a half an hour of rest could totally change how my experience in my body and um, you know I slept better and just felt more relaxed after the treatments um, so uh, at the time I had been toying with the idea of going back to school to study psychology um, and I kind of switched gears and um, decided to try out acupuncture school and once I got there I, I really just kind of got hooked that's interesting that you both seem to kind of come to it from more of like an emotional side of things. Um, because I know for me personally, um, usually when I think of acupuncture, I think of it as more of a physical kind of thing, like for back pain or, you know, some kind of joint pain or something like that. People will get uh, acupuncture and generally um, report pretty good results. But you don't hear so much about the kind of emotional side of things. I know that, that lately they've been talking about it for things like depression and anxiety. Um, is that like a common thing? Like, do, do people tend to come to you guys for, for more of the emotional side of things? We definitely see a lot of pain conditions, and it's definitely really good um, at treating pain conditions. Um, I do get some, I'm more, I would say more anxiety patients than um, depression, but definitely some of both. Um, you know, I think what happened with the medicine was it, it did initially sort of address the sort of spiritual and emotional aspects of health, um, but there was a lot of language about spirits and demons and that kind of thing that sort of got um, pushed out of the medicine once they were trying to make it more mainstream and coined, you know, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. Mm. They took all of the spiritual language, most of the spiritual language out of uh, the medicine. Well, the stories that both of you told kind of testify that acupuncture is good for releasing a lot of pre-verbal trauma, things that people can't yes really verbalize or like if they're having therapy and they can't really verbalize exactly. what may have happened to them so acupuncture can be good for that I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that that's been my personal experience and um, I would say that it's not something that a lot of people necessarily are they're not drawn to acupuncture typically because I don't think a lot of people think of it in that mm -hmm. way that they should come to right. acupuncture because of those reasons. But well, maybe they get up on the table and they have an emotional release, and it's like surprise! Right. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know. And that happens for sure, and it's so interesting because it's not you. You can't really know when it's going to happen, and sometimes you know acupuncture often has this cumulative effect for people. So, mm. um, yeah. The, and the body opens when it's ready, not before then. It has its own time, that's for sure. Yeah. 
Right. And is it kind of like, I mean, I guess this is kind of what you're describing, but somebody might come in for more of a, a physical ailment and they'll end up having maybe this kind of emotional reaction, this oh. emotional release. Absolutely. So are, are there different, like, if somebody came into you and said, I'm suffering from anxiety versus if somebody came into you and said, um, I have lower back pain, like how different is what you would do on them? How different is the, is the method? Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, I'll let James talk about this too, but for me, if it's lower back pain, the first thing I'll do is, okay, I'll focus on some movement tests to kind of identify the meridians that have the most, you know, tension or blockage in them. And, and that's just kind of one way of assessing the body and the range of motion, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. And then if someone has anxiety, typically I'll go straight towards points that we say calm the spirit, but also People who have pain, I almost always include at least one point that calms the spirit because there's no way someone can have all this pain and not have it affect them, at least on some level emotionally, even if they're mm -hmm. not aware of how much it's right. affecting them. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes kind of joke about it. People will come in and they'll seem like really mean, awful, nasty people. And then you, you treat them and their pain starts to get better and their personality seems like it changes just because they're not feeling so they don't have pain, so they're not feeling as angry or angsty, and um, you know they have more patience. They're more likely to smile, and it's really, it's wow. really lovely. I know a I lot of people who could probably benefit from that. I would <laughs> guess that people who have maybe long-term pain that they've been dealing with for a while, they're probably not even aware of how it's changed their temperament or their personality or how they mm. react to people until they Absolutely. notice a change afterwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think that my understanding with Chinese medicine, I, I don't know a, a lot about Chinese culture because I haven't spent time in China. Just what I know is from, you know, our teachers and classmates and um, in school and from our history class. Um, but one of the things we talked about was how a lot of the um, a lot of the, di the diagnostic categories that we treat in Chinese medicine, um, there's always, in my experience, and there's always a physical component with emotions and an emotional component with um, physical ailments, almost always. Hmm. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I won't say always because, you know, there's always exceptions, but <laughs> um, so, so for instance, you asked about uh, how we would treat anxiety versus uh, low back pain. And so with anxiety, a lot of times people have physical symptoms that go along with anxiety. You know, if you think about the classical, um, like a panic attack when people, you know, feel their heart pounding in their chest and mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> maybe you're hyperventilating or something like that. Um, and I think that uh, there are other physical symptoms usually, so um, sometimes the, the label for the emotion is, is an overlay for what's going on. Um, you know, the, the, the separation of, okay, emotions and thoughts versus physical sensations, I think is an, personally, I think it's an artificial separation. Um, you know, there's always 
if you, I mean, I, probably a lot of the, your listeners are familiar with Horace Moravis's idea of, of the, the three centers, but you know, if there's a movement in the intellectual center, there's a movement in the emotional center and the movement center. So, um, mm. you know, if somebody has an injury in their back, it's going to affect how they move and the way the way that we move and our habitual um, postures and the way that we use our body affects how we how we feel in our emotional state and it affects how we think um, and it affects our personality so um, I for the most part I think of acupuncture as a form of body work um, it's it's a way into um, the person's affecting their body and, and a lot of people you know they have their patterns of um, symptoms that go along with different constitutional types and you know there are patterns of symptoms that happen to people as they get older so when people get older they tend to have knee problems and low back pain and you know frequent urination and trouble sleeping and um, the, the sort of symptoms that we think about with aging so we have a um, way we have ways of treating that that have been developed I think somewhat by trial and error and somewhat just based on um, you know different theories about how the human body works that were developed in China so a lot of it um, sounds very foreign to scientific um, medicine and scientific thinking but um, there's a certain science to the way that it was developed and hmm. I feel like I'm starting to ramble now so <laughs> maybe we can uh... well it is interesting what you were saying because I do I, I totally agree with you I think that the western perspective on things tends to be very um, segmented in what they're treating you know even within the field of kind of western medicine it's it's like you have specialists in different areas and they don't really talk to each other at all so you've got like you know a oh, I don't know like a foot doctor who doesn't talk to the digestive doctor <laughs> the right terms but but it's that kind of thing where it's very it's very segmented and um, I think that the the Chinese uh, system which you know I, I admittedly don't know a lot about but it seems like they are much more holistic in their approach that it's more of um, treating the entire person including the emotional aspect including physical aspects and all the organ systems how they interact um, so yeah it, it just seems like a more holistic for lack of a better term mm -hmm. yeah I think it's very com it's complementary in a lot of ways to um, mm. biomedicine because and in some ways it's just because the you know I would say that I our training is similar to sort of like a, a general practitioner or family doctor from, you know, 100 or 150 years ago who maybe would go into a rural area. And, and I'm not saying we learn the same things um, or, or have the same skills as a, as a MD from 150 years ago, but more that we have very broad training so that we are trained initially to be able to treat a lot of different things. And I, you know, I... I guess maybe it's similar with med school and then people specialize later. Um, mm -hmm. But we definitely, we definitely look at how a condition affects our patients 
physically, mentally, emotionally, which I think you're right is, is probably different than Western medicine. So it's more of a looking at the big picture and looking at the a, a human being as a whole organism instead of you know zeroing zeroing in on the physical structure of the knee, for instance. Mm -hmm. so, okay, if this person has a knee knee pain, so let's find out what's structurally wrong with the knee. Um, so that's that's a place where Western medicine can get stumped. You know, if they somebody has knee pain, can't find then, anything wrong with the knee. Yeah, you, you know, you send them <laughs> I mean, for pictures and. Most of the patients we get, I feel like, are the people that all their blood works normal, you know, the imaging comes back and they're like sort of fishing for what could be wrong with this person for the reason that they have their pain. And, right. And often these are the people that end up coming to us because they're not served well by Western medicine because none of the tests are showing what's really going on. And I think that's what how Chinese medicine is so different. And there really is in, in our training, you know, just the concept of Shen, when we were talking about mind-body dualism, and is that, you know, even real? The concept of Shen in Chinese medicine is really central. When we treat pain or any kind of disease, we always want to calm the Shen, and the, the Shen has to do with not only the mind, but also the body. So, it, and there's no separation in the concept of Shen. It, it has to do with the heart, the mind, and the body, and sort of the, the spirit and the sense of being able to be calm and feel connected. So, um, and, it, and it manifests through the person's eyes. So you can tell someone who's in a lot of pain, you can tell based on the way that their face looks or their eyes look, you know, there's maybe some dullness or there's kind of like the crazy eyes um, <laughs> person, maybe their eyes are darting. All of those things we look for when we're determining the state of someone's shen. Do you get referrals from mainstream medical doctors or do your patients just come to you because they've pretty much had enough of mainstream or they couldn't find any relief through mainstream treatments like do doctors send people to you and kind of tied to that um, mm -hmm. yeah well do no, people sorry, come in people come into your office and they don't really know much about acupuncture or maybe they think this like really woo woo and they just want to try it out like do you notice a difference between people who come in who are like know a lot about it and they're really gung-ho to get treated and people who are more uh, suspicious or wary and does that make a difference in their outcomes absolutely that makes a difference and yeah we we get kind of a mix of patients um the, our clinic was founded by a man who was a nurse before he became an acupuncturist. Um, he actually was an ER nurse, so he worked in a local hospital near where our clinic is. And so he had a, he had a lot of connections in the Western medical world and in the local hospitals. Um, so we actually have a number of nurses who are long-term patients who come in to the clinic regularly for um, maintenance treatments to help with, um, you know, back pain and knee pain and that sort of thing. Um, you know, just uh, repetitive strain injuries that, that develop from, you know, lifting people and moving people and nursing. Nursing is a pretty can be a pretty physical job. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
Um, we get some referrals from physical therapists. Um, usually, they'll send people to us, like physical therapists and Even orthop orthopedics. Yeah, orthopedic surgeons sometimes send patients to us um, if they're not sure. You know, they're they're patients who maybe aren't. They're they're not quite to the place where an orthopedic surgeon would say you should have surgery, um, but they have pain and they're not sure, maybe they're either not sure what else to do with them or they want them to try acupuncture before they um, prescribe pain medicine. Um, the, newest, the newest treatment guidelines for low back pain from the American Medical Association, I think it was, is it the AMA? Go, it's the, it was the American College of Physicians, I think. They mm. um, have a publication, the Annals of Internal Medicine, and they released background uh, guidelines for treatment of back pain, I think a year or two ago, that recommended acupuncture as something to try before. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, before prescribing pain medications. It was acupuncture and physical therapy and yoga and massage and some other body work. Um, modalities, but that was a big step, I think, for us and for other um, complementary medicine folks. Um, so we get we get some people like that who are referred. Um, I would say, in general, most of the people who come to see us are uh, initially pretty skeptical about acupuncture. Um, I think it's more widely accepted on the West Coast because it's probably because it's it's been sort of in the public consciousness out there a little bit longer. Um, All the hippies. So a lot of people, yeah, 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 and just, you know, more, more, peop more people from Asia in, mm -hmm. for longer mm -hmm. in, in California and Oregon and Washington, you know, because um, I think Chinese immigrants started coming over there in the 1800s, um, mm -hmm. at, at least. So... Um, so people, but, but definitely partly because of the that culture, yeah. Um, so a lot of people are, are really skeptical when they come, which I think is a shame because, um, or, or at least it makes our job, it makes our job more difficult, you know. The, well, we the, do have to do a lot of patient education, I think, so that people yeah. can understand what's going on. And it's, and it's tricky walking the line between someone who has a really, they're really steeped in the Western understanding of things. And so... You know, even some of the language that we use, it just goes right over people's heads and it's hard to sort of, you know, make it sound reasonable and also mm. make it true to what, what we're doing. Just yeah. And the placebo effect is real. Like, you know, the mm. study after study demonstrates that the placebo effect is real. And for, I'm sure most people are familiar with the placebo effect, but basically when they do drug trials, you know, the the... Um, one group will have the real medicine and the control group will have a sugar pill and you know test after test they show that the people who take the sugar pill get still get better you know on average they so there's some effect is it is it the sugar pill you know most people think that there's an effect from the um, person feeling like okay I'm getting some medicine so I'm gonna get better um, mm -hmm. And it also works the other way. So, you know, they call it nocebo. So if somebody's super skeptical about a treatment, um, then they will tend to have 
uh, a poorer outcome than someone who's really into it and believes that it's going to work. Um, However, I, I will add, I've had, I've had at least three or four patients who totally, totally skeptical were sure that it wasn't going to be able to help them and were just trying it as a last resort either because their, you know, husband or wife or friend or doctor or someone was like, well, just try it. You've got nothing to lose, you know, um, and totally helped them, you know, like really outstanding results. So it's not always necessarily or, you know, maybe there's something about certain people that even if they're skeptical, it doesn't affect them in the same way or who knows. But. Hmm. It's, so it never seems to be a hundred percent one way, of course. Right. So what? Maybe <clears throat> maybe it would be actually helpful for our listeners what you actually do explain to people, because I mean, you know, what most people probably know of acupuncture is you go in, you lay down, you get some needles stuck in you, and then everything's better. So <laughs> what? What's what's really going on there? Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah. Uh, um... So acupuncture needles, um, when they're put in the body, so one, one thing about acupuncture research and why it's such a mystery, I think people are sort of looking for the way that it works, you know, the molecule or the pathway and mm. sort of as if it's a drug, you know, like, okay, so you, you take aspirin, aspirin is one chemical that's super purified and you know it, it acts on these receptors and this physiological process happens so acupuncture acts on the body in a sort of range of ways um, that different researchers have found so one way that's most well known is um, that you put the needles in and there's a release of endorphins they're called endorphins and enkephalins so these are the body's painkillers that it releases so um, pain, actually it's interesting because how pain works is sort of not very well understood you know if you think about pain it's it's very subjective you know if if somebody somebody if two people stub their toes you know one person might maybe maybe they both break their toe and you know one person can barely walk and barely function and their pain level is so intense that it's totally overwhelming whereas another person they could break their toe and you know not even have just limp a little bit and not have them slow down so um sorry i'm getting off track so <laughs> so with acupuncture um so when you have an injury in the body like that um the purpose of pain one theory about the purpose of pain is that um it makes your body protect the injured area until it can heal. Um, so a lot of people, at, once the once the injured part of the body is healed, then the um, sensory nerves in the body are supposed to stop sending pain signals and turn the pain off. So a lot of people who come to see us, um, they have pain, but as far as you know, they can tell, as far as the doctors can tell, there's no physical problem necessarily that's causing the pain or, or the amount of pain that they have is way out of proportion with the injury or the malfunction in their body. So there's some kind of malfunction in the 
body's, you know, the body's not regulating the pain signals the way that it should regulate them. So hmm. with acupuncture, you put the acupuncture needles in, one effect is that there's a release of these pain-killing chemicals. They're released locally, so, you know, if you have pain in your knee and you get acupuncture needles put in points around your knee, then there's release of pain-killing chemicals, you know, in the local tissues right around the knee. And then there's also a signal sent to the brain, and the brain releases chemicals that then go into circulation um, that have a systemic effect. So there's an effect on what we call the, um, um, hormo the hormonal system, the endocrine system. Um, and then there's also an effect on the nervous system. You know, you put the needles in and sometimes, you know, you might feel a prick when the needle goes in. So there's a conscious um, perception of the sensation of the needles being inserted and, and then the needles being in your body. Um, which is usually not unpleasant. It's, it's sort of a heavy feeling sometimes. Oftentimes we put the needles in and people say that they, you know, oh, I don't feel them at all. Mm -hmm. But the body, still, the body still feels that the needle's there on some level. So some of the studies that I've read about how acupuncture work focus on the effect of the needles on the brain and the um, body map in the brain's um, cortex. So uh, there's a study that I read about how acupuncture helps with carpal tunnel. And they did um, MRIs and functional fMRIs, which are like real-time MRIs when they put the, you know, they go in the MRI machine and put the needles in and see what's going on in the brain. So they had a theory, okay, why, why are these people getting carpal tunnel? Um, and they found that the people who have carpal tunnel pain, um, their body map is not, um, that there's like an overlap of the signals coming from their hand and their arm. So some of the sensory input that's coming from their arm and their hand is getting confused in the brain. So the brain hmm. interprets these kind of scrambled up signals as pain in the wrist. Right. So like the acupuncture needles are helping the brain differentiate, okay, this is this part of the arm and this is this part of the hand and, and it's sort of separate things out. So often as people get better, their pain will get more and more specific. Like a lot of times I'll say, where's your shoulder pain? And they can't even point to where it is. It's like, well, it's all over this whole area and it affects me so much. And we start working and all of a sudden they can point, oh, this is all that's left. It's right here. You know, hmm. the body's, the body's um, or the brain's way of mapping the body is able to differentiate better and get more and more specific. And I think that that's part of it. And that's exactly what James is saying. So it kind of clarifies the, the body map? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it like cleans up the body map. And the body mm -hmm. map can, can get confused because of um, injuries. And lack of blood circulation. Lack I mean, of blood circulation the and needles are, are right away, they're helping with the blood flow. I mean, that, that's part of the response. You know, some people will get this quick response from the insertion of the needle. And we say that it indicates how much heat or inflammation they have in their body. But, you know, some people will get this big pink spot around the needle and some people won't. Mm -hmm. So hmm. it's, um, it's obviously a physical intervention that's affecting the circulation. Hmm. Also. Yeah, so in the, and yeah, 
that's good. <laughs> well, what about? Uh, I was just gonna say, what about chi? Because you guys went through that whole explanation, yeah. but you didn't say anything about chi. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that it's been the way that she's been defined or just the way that acupuncture has been branded in the Western world is not necessarily like chi. I've heard translated many, many different ways. And the most common translation people go to, I think, is energy. Um, mm. But really, when you look at what these people were observing, it is really oxygen. I mean, you could argue that it's the oxygenation um, of the blood, this sort of mobilizing influence that keeps everything in the body working as it should. And, and um, mm. the heart was always seen as, as like the emperor, the empress of the body, because it's this regulating, um, what regulates the, the flow through the body um, in part. And then all these different relationships of all the organs and the way that certain organs influence the the chi flow um so you know it if blood is the substance chi is like the oxygenation of the blood if you want to look at it in a more uh hmm. scientific or just you know flesh and bones way hmm. i think in acupuncture school um in the like first semester we have a chinese medicine physiology class you know, it's it's like Western medicine physiology class, but it's it's more simplistic, mostly because it's based on older concepts and and older language. Um, so chi and chi and blood always go together um, in the body. There are different types of chi that we learn about. So there's um, uh, they talk about how the the Chinese organs work together, and and it's basically like a simplistic model for how the internal organs work together and it's it's pretty ingenious if you think about that it was developed by people who didn't have access to microscopes and modern chemistry labs and you know they they saw they, they must have done some dissections or saw people on the battlefield and stuff and saw you know livers and stomachs and hearts and sort of figured out basically how things work um, so, so we learn about how the stomach and the, um, we call it the spleen, but some people say the spleen and pancreas, those are the, the main digestive organs in Chinese medicine, kind of the same way that it is in hmm. Western medicine. So um, the spleen and the stomach uh, produce, take in food and water, and they produce, um, they call it food chi. So the food chi goes up to the, in, in Chinese, uh, physiology that it goes up it, it rises up to the so that the stomach is start thought of as like this cooking pot that's mm -hmm. fermenting and digesting the food that you take in which is accurate and then the steam rises so there's an analogy of cooking rice and the the Chinese character for chi is um, a combination of two different characters one is like rice cooking and then the steam rising off of it so a very literal translation of chi is the steam coming off of a bowl of rice. Um, <laughs> but yeah. the, the, the character and the, you know, chi, the word chi is almost never used by itself in, in China. I think it's usually contextual. So they talk about the earth chi and the heaven chi and the, 
um, it's a con it's it's more of like a concept so in the body we talk about the food chi so that's the energy that you get from food and then the food chi goes to the chest and there's the chest chi which comes in from the air from the heaven chi so the heaven chi comes down into the body through the lungs so right you your breath is bringing in energy it's bringing in oxygen so the food chi and the heaven chi are combined in the lungs in the heart and they create blood and it's pumped through the body so the blood and the chi work together in the body to keep the body warm to nourish the tissues and nourish the internal organs and on a basic level when there's a problem it means that there's a problem with chi and blood flow yes so there's bad circulation basically so that's like the fundamental concept of Chinese medicine is that when there's a problem there's a problem with circulation chi and blood flow so chi or blood or both. oxygen and nutrients aren't getting to the places where they're supposed to be and if you look at biomedicine i mean it's it's not really that far off in terms of looking at um long-term degenerative problems you know diabetes you could argue that diabetes for instance is a, a circulatory disease it affects the blood vessels and um a lot of the problems that it causes is you know is because of poor circulation and its effect on the circulatory system and you know there's all the statistics about how many people die of heart attacks every year and um, you know how many people have Raynaud's syndrome or peripheral neuropathy which is you know pain even, and tingling from your nerves and even anyway. with cancer they're talking about how if you get enough oxygen through that area it kills the cancer cells that's my understanding mm -hmm. anyway Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a question about, sorry, didn't interrupt sure, you guys. Oh, um, so the practice of Tai Chi, would that be, mm -hmm. it's definitely gaining in popularity, especially with older people, would that be just that, those movements helping with circulation mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. oxygenizing the blood and... Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. There's, there's a focus on... Uh, relaxation during the movements in Chinese uh, like Tai Chi and Qigong is another is sort of becoming more popular but basically while you do the movements you're supposed to relax as most as much as possible um, so it's almost like um, you know the, the sort of my Western mind thinks of it as sort of like a um, it's it's like a holistic form of physical therapy you know mm -hmm. what I mean so um, it's a way of recovering from injuries and helping your body regain full range of motion and relaxing. Um, a lot of the tension that we have in our body can, you know, basically, so tension that we have in our body um, can come from injuries, you know, that haven't fully healed, uh, fully healed. They can come from um, habitual emotional patterns or thought patterns so we hold our body in a certain way all the time you know if, if somebody is sad you know if you think about how someone looks when they're sad you know the look on their face um, the way that their shoulders slump and their chest you know kind of sinks if somebody's habitually sad then that that posture can become stuck in the body um, and 
I think the third way is just, you know, from the way that we use our bodies on a regular basis. So if you have a desk job and you're sitting at a desk all the time, then you are holding your body in a certain posture for long periods of time. Um, over time, the body adapts to that. So qigong is a way of, or tai chi, by going through those movements and trying to relax, um, it's a way of releasing tension in your body and um, recovering movement, recovering sensation. When, when there's tension in the body, the muscles are tense, it restricts blood flow, it um, restricts the uh, sensory input and signals from the nervous system. Um, it just, and that's another concept from Chinese medicine where, where there's um, restriction, restriction causes pain. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically Tai Chi is designed to, um, is it, to relax the body and help you recover full range of motion and prevent injuries. It's especially good for people as they age because it's um, also really good for balance and, you know, a, a big problem for people when they get older and become sedentary is loss of balance and um, there are lots of studies about how that, you know, mortality rates increase as um, people get older and are more likely to fall down. And mm -hmm. um, So I think that that's partly why it's so popular. And in China there was, um, there was definitely an issue of availability and, and cost, you know, after the Cultural Revolution, China became isolated and there were, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of people, they had a very small number of Western trained doctors um, and a large population that needed health care and they were trying to modernize very quickly. So initially Mao was very opposed to Chinese medicine, he thought it was backwards and um, and thought it should be eradicated, you know, kind of like the communist idea of, you know, getting rid of, um, you know, outdated things. Um, but I think, the, the le as the legend goes, he got really sick. He had pneumonia or a lung abscess or some life-threatening, very severe upper respiratory infection. This is what I heard in school. and. Um, it didn't respond to antibiotics and Western medical treatments. So, you know, kind of in desperation, he took some Chinese herbs from a famous uh, Chinese herbalist and that cured him of the respiratory infection. So being both a pragmatist on some level and, you know, it may have just been a pragmatic decision, but I, I kind of like the story. <laughs> um, and, I, and I have seen some studies about, uh, you know, Sort of so anyway, um, yeah. basically they started a large-scale training program for, they called it the Barefoot Doctors. Um, and part of that program was that they said, you know, because there was such a long wait for care, when, when someone went to see the local Barefoot Doctor, part of their job was to do triage. So, you know, if it was life-threatening or something really severe, they would send them to the next town to where the the, um, you know, trauma care was. If it was something that they could treat with 
acupuncture or herbs, they would treat it with that. You know, oftentimes they would tell the person, you know, you can't be seen. The, the doctor is so busy, you're not going to be able to be seen for a month. Here are some Tai Chi exercises that you can do in the meantime. And sometimes that was enough for somebody to uh, work through the, the problem itself. So hmm. um, it's definitely considered part of Chinese medicine. Yeah. Hmm. The internal exercises of Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of focus on conserving energy in this system of medicine as opposed to the Western sort of like, let's go get our exercise and expend, you know, burn as many calories as possible. <laughs> right. So That's what I was thinking too, that it's low impact. So people yes, are moving, but it's not. They're very focused on longevity and conserving energy and restoring the proper flow of qi and blood. And so... Um, the Tai Chi practices come right out of that. Yeah, they have this concept that you're born the um, the it's sort of an out, it's sort of like DNA. They the their their uh, Chinese medicine talks about three treasures. So the three treasures of Chinese medicine are Shen and Qi and Jing. So Jing is like um, what you're born with. It's, it's like your, your essence or maybe your DNA. Yeah, your essence, your genetic base. Your blueprint. Your blueprint, yeah. <clears throat> Shen is like your, your spirit. So it's like this idea of, you know, we're living in a physical universe, we're in a physical body, but something else comes into our body. You know, there's this like animating force. And then Qi is, um, you know, generated by the body processes body processes by like slowly burning the the jing the what we're given at birth and it, it creates energy in our body so that we can do what we need to do so jing the concept of jing i think of it as like um you know one of those little sand timers that has <laughs> so much sand in it and the mm. sand is running out and eventually it's going to run out and your body's going to die you know all bodies eventually die so but you can, there are things that you can do to make the sand run out slower or faster. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so things like Tai Chi and taking eating certain well. kinds of herbs, eating right for your constitutional type, uh, getting acupuncture regularly, you know, can, can slow down the, how fast the sand is running out. Um, which you could argue, I mean, but that's that's kind of yeah or like the pilot light i think is often another way they talk about it they talk they they emphasize staying warm and and not letting your body making your body work harder too you know even drinking warmer fluids keeping your body warm not exposing yourself to wind or harsh elements that kind of or thing or cold it's baths all about conserving yeah <laughs> no yeah the the cryotherapy and like cold water therapy they would not be found definitely be frowned upon by most uh um, no kidding chinese medical trained yeah, yeah shocking i agree with them on that one i have to say <laughs> um so in, you in have your more questions yeah yeah in your practice besides the acupuncture are there like other add-on treatments that you use the, alongside with the acupuncture like you mentioned before the show the m test what is that yes that's definitely my number one go-to add-on um i just find that it 
at the beginning I mentioned sort of diagnostic movements and M-Test is what, uh, or Makino, Dr. Makino developed it. So it's Makino method test or uh, muscle or meridian testing, um, M-Test for short. Anyways, it, it helps you determine exactly um, which meridian is most effective in someone's pain. And so oftentimes um, just gentle acupressure on these specific points is enough to Again, I think it has a lot to do with the body getting a certain amount of feedback so that it can actually relax and, and soften the area where there's pain because it, it senses, my experience is that it's almost like the body senses a certain amount of support from the, from the acupressure point, which translates through the meridian. And um, you never are pressing directly on the area of pain, you're pressing, um, further down the channel. So, um, you know, if there's a problem with the shoulder, you would use a lot of points on the wrist. Um, and you would have the person identify the most painful movement and then choose the acupressure point that is most effective in alleviating their pain or improving their range of motion. Um, and, it, and it really happens pretty quickly and it's a great way to identify, you know, I'll use the acupressure and then I'll, I'll kind of clean up whatever else might need to be cleaned up on the meridian with the needles. So oftentimes I'll feel, oh, the, the tissue feels really gummy or sticky in this particular um, part of the bicep on someone who has shoulder pain. And um, it's usually more effective to, at least in my experience for the most part, to work on the meridian further down than, than, than attack the area that's already in pain. Um, <laughs> Like the exact so, opposite of Western medicine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, um, you know, instead of doing surgery on the shoulder. Anyway, yeah. So that's sort of a short explanation of M-Test, but there are a lot of, um, as you go into it, there are pairings of points that work really well together on the upper and lower body, and we always start from the ground up. So, you know, even if someone has shoulder pain, I'll check to see if there's any imbalance happening maybe in their hip joints or when they do side bending movements, is it really tight and restricted all the way down that, that side of the body where the shoulder's hurting or on the mm. opposite side, you know, a lot of times we have these compensatory patterns um, or like guarding patterns when we have pain in our body. So. Um, working from the ground up helps you have a solid foundation so that your body can relax and sort of the, the grip of those patterns can um, unravel and then, and then the pain. And sometimes it, it definitely takes, takes time, but um, I think because it's so non-invasive, the body responds really, really well to it. That's my opinion. Yeah, M-Test um, test is really interesting. It's a, uh, um, I think that one of the key things about understanding how acupuncture works and how M-Test, this, this M-Test system works, which is basically a framework that's built on top of the concepts of acupuncture, is looking at how the body functions as a, as a whole, that holistic um, framework, like you were saying earlier, Doug. So mm. um, to some extent, that's you know looking at how organs work together and you know creating a an herbal medicine formula that addresses 
you know, both the liver and the circulatory system. But in this instance, it's looking at how the body moves. And um, of course, Western science and Western medicine traditionally has been very re reductionistic. So if a person has pain in their knee, the problem must be in the knee. The, the pain's coming from the knee, so there must be a problem with the knee. The, the problem with that is that the way that the body organizes movement and the way that the brain processes the signals from the body, it doesn't necessarily make those kinds of differentiations. You know, when we, when we move our arm, you know, you move your hand through space, you don't think about it because it's an unconscious movement, but the, um, the whole body kind of coordinates that because there's the inertia and mass of your hand moving through space, the body has to compensate for for that, so there are little micro movements and um, tensing and releasing muscles all over your body all the time that help you move through space. And then, you know, all you have to do is look at a toddler learning how to walk, and you can see how what how complex it is to learn how to walk. You know, to go from crawling to standing up to being able to walk and then run. You know, it takes them months and months, you know, years of constantly really, trying to. of trying all day. They're all they're doing is practicing walking and picking things up and and you know, our nervous system has to learn all of that. And so each each movement really is it's um you know, just because I'm only move uh, you know, I'm only moving my left hand when I move my my <laughs> when I move my arm in this way, it hurts in my shoulder. So there's this problem with my shoulder. But, um, you know, you can think about the body. So one analogy that I heard that I thought was pretty good. Um, if you put, you, say you're making a bed, and you put the sheets on the bed, and you smooth them all out. And then if you grab the sheet on one corner of the bed, and you lift it up and twist it, you can see little creases go out all through the bed on the sheet and it affects you know the bed on the other side you know the sheet on the other side of the bed so the the body is like that the um soft tissue the fascia is a big buzzword in the um, medical world right now but the the soft tissue that binds the whole body together um a problem in one area can really affect another area so yeah. Um, so there's a lot of emphasis because of that on scarring also with with especially with m tests because of the way that a scar can pull um if you movement. exactly so if the scar doesn't heal well you know sometimes actually i've found a few people uh one woman had her thyroid removed and if i pulled she had a massive scar on her neck if i pulled the scar gently downwards because it looked like it was pulling upward mm -hmm. if i gently pulled the scar downwards it helped relieve her pain that she was having. She was having a lot of discomfort swallowing and looking up. So that's something too, you know, for some people who have a lot of scarring, it, it can take a while because there's all that scar tissue to work on. So there's this idea of how the whole body is all tied together and um, movement is coordinated through the whole body and something like a scar can um, really affect how the body moves or create tension in a way that is causes pain. Um, so M-test is a way of 
diagnosing problems with movement that are causing pain, and the system tells us where to look to try to alleviate that problem. And it can be counterintuitive for sure, like, you know, because we're so trained to think, oh, the pain's here, you know, people, people will come in with pain and say, well, why aren't you putting any needles where it hurts? <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. So. Um, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, once you kind of think about the way that the system works, it can be pretty obvious. So, for instance, if somebody's having low back pain and um, we do some tests, so, you know, we have them sort of do a back bend, we have them lean forward and touch their toes, we have them do side bends and like a twisting movement. So, if when they bend forward and touch their toes, that's the movement that makes the back pain worse then we know that there's a problem usually with the back, the back of their body, the posterior part of their body, which in Chinese medicine we call that the bladder channel or the tai yang channel. It's, these are old concepts about, it's, it's an, an analogy for that part of the body. So then we know to look on, you know, we check the backs of their legs. So oftentimes tight hamstrings can at least exacerbate low back pain. So we check the, the backs of their legs, hmm. their, their hamstrings, their, their calves, um, their upper back, their neck, etc. And we'll look for um, acupressure points on their ankle that are, are related to the back of the body. And the acupressure points or acupuncture points, um, you know, they're places that they're like um, areas on the body that have concentrations of nerve endings and blood vessels and some of those nerve nerve endings um, help the body organize movement through space you know it's it's the way that when you close your eyes and you move your hand around you can locate where your hand is you know you can touch your nose with your eyes closed because these nerve endings in your wrist and your hand and your elbow are sending signals to your brain telling your brain where your hand is um, so if we stimulate the right points on the ankle, then you know we have the person bend over again, and um, they move a little bit differently. It, the muscles up the back of their legs relax a little bit, and it relieves the pain in their back. Um, does that hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And this M-test thing, I know you guys were mentioning on the show last time, I think, that it's used a lot for, like, sports, in, like, sports performance and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I guess yeah, that so makes sense. It, it's like, yeah, if you use it prophylactically for someone, you don't have to have pain to use it. I mean, you, you're uh, optimizing the body's movement pattern. So if you, there's a full, you know, you move, go through all the movements and, it doesn't have to be pain. It could be like a restriction or tightness or imbalance. Um, so athletes, you know, who are very in tune with their body and how their body moves and their high functioning, you know, they can feel very small imbalances and restrictions. Um, so by going through uh, an M test treatment before, say, a sporting event, a swimming or running or something like that. Um, it makes the body move more efficiently. Um, and there are a lot of stories in Dr. Mukaino's book, the, the one book that's published in English, um, about uh, swimmers who, you know, 
won the race because there was there's one story about they sped up their stroke by whatever however many milliseconds yeah. or something because of the efficiency ah. of their muscles yeah um, and then they're you know uh, baseball pitchers so they they did a they did a test uh, with best baseball pitchers where they had them you know they said okay so these guys they're we're gonna have measure muscle mus mus muscular effort so like how what muscles they're using and how hard the the muscles are working to make the pitch go a certain speed. Um, without M-Test, they um, throw the baseball, and you know, at first they're using a lot of muscles and working really hard, and then as they get warmed up, you know, they call it a warm-up. Well, some of that's relaxing the muscles that are interfering with the movement rather than mm. helping it. Um, so then they did, you know, they waited a little while, and then the same picture, they did the M-test first, and it basically eliminated the need for the warm-up. So, you know, they just oh, wow. straight into, yeah, yeah. So, so it's pretty interesting, I think. So, Very cool. And you were mentioning had, just, uh, sorry, go ahead, Tiff. I was just going to ask James or Lene if they've had any uh, patients that came in and the outcome was shocking or surprising or yes. just anything out of the ordinary that you wouldn't oh expect. Oh my goodness, yes. I had a guy who came in with a shattered calcaneus bone, which is the heel bone. Mm -hmm. Oh. So we're talking like one of the most fundamental bones in the body because we all have to walk to get anywhere. I mean, unless you're needing a wheelchair, but luckily he was still... I mean, he was still managing. Um, and so he, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to do anything for him. Um, and well, I, I thought maybe I could help him a little bit, but he'd had this going on for seven years, I think. And mm -hmm. obviously talking about compensation patterns, I mean, had a lot going on structurally, had a lot of pain with a lot of the movements, a lot of restriction. <clears throat> so I did M test with him. I identified the most important, most restricted meridian, um, and when he stretched it, it caused the most pain, which we expect to see. Um, so I did literally one, well, one M-test point um, with him repeating the movement, but I gave him a full acupuncture treatment, and in the acupuncture treatment, I actually focused on his stress, because I felt like that was a really, he was obviously really at the end of his rope with this. Um, anyways, you know, by the end of the the treatment, um, you know, he was obviously the kind of guy that doesn't cry easily, but he was in tears starting to cry because he could flex his foot without pain and walked out the door and was like, <laughs> James said something to him like, oh, I'm so glad you're feeling better. Or, and he was like, you know, or I'm glad, glad you're feeling good. And he was like, no, you know, you know, that doesn't even cut it that I'm feeling good. This is, you know, he swore, this is effing awesome. <laughs> um, so, you know, and wow. he just like bounced out the door because he could, he could press into his feet. And this was, um, it would last for about two days initially. Um, mm -hmm. And then it started to last a little longer. Um, but he said, you know, still, even when it was starting to come back, it was so much less intense. So it's still, it's still going to be wow. a process for him, but it was the kind of thing, you know, that's, that's not a case where I expected it to be so effective right off the bat. Um, mm -hmm. But wow. I think, 
for whatever reason, that that's a good good testimony. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, we had a patient this fall who um, is in her late 80s. Uh, she had a hip replacement about a year ago, um, but she, so she had she had a, her hip joint replaced because she had pain in her hip. Um, but then after the surgery, she still had pain. It was just it was uh. further down her thigh, so. The doctor said, you know, that happens sometimes and your body should adjust to having it and it should go away. Um, but unfortunately, she it was almost a year later and she still had this pain. And she said, you know, the pain in my leg now is it's slightly below my hip, but it's it's almost it's almost as bad as the pain that I had in my hip. And now, in addition, I have um, sciatic pain on the other leg. Oh, jeez. Um, so which, you know, is that. I don't know if it was a progression or not, but so she, her friend had convinced her to come in and try acupuncture and, you know, 80, 80, 87, 87, I probably forget, she's I think 86, 87, something like that. She's, you know, she'd never heard of acupuncture before. She's sort of just like, well, we'll give it a try. And um, one of the things with acupuncture is that it doesn't always, it's not always that, you know, magical Well, I thing think that, with the calcaneus bone, the reason that it was so fast because it actually had healed. It had been seven years, you know, mm-hmm. the body had healed it as much as it could, but there was all of this still pain, you know, the pain loop in the body was still mm-hmm. really active because it had been there so long. Anyway, <clears throat> and, and So this, uh, you know, I totally agree with you, Linnea. Yeah. Um, this lady, she, uh, she started coming to see us and I think it took about 15, 10, 10 or 15 treatments um, she was coming twice a week, and um, we we both kind of took turns treating her. And she, she started to feel better. You know, one week, oh, my hip feels feels better, but my sciatic is acting up. And then the next week it would be, well, my hip really hurts. Nothing's changed. My hip really hurts. Well, how's your sciatic? Oh, it's gone. Oh, it's gone. It doesn't hurt this week, but this hip is just not getting better. Um, I'm not sure if the acupuncture is working. You know, and, and finally we got her. We got her to the point where, um, you know, both of them felt good, except for. Well, now it only hurts when I stand up out of the chair. So then we worked on that for a week or two, and then she, you know she came back one week, one week with a big smile so on her face and said, you know, I, I had a great week. The only dime that hurts is on Saturday. <laughs> and also, I feel like I feel like that that week also it was so fun because we I walked uh, this particular oh, this week I treated funny. her and came out she was sitting in the waiting room, and she kind of looked at me, glanced at me, and then stood up as fast as she could because usually she would need a few minutes to get her bearings and the pain would be pretty overwhelming so she'd need a few breaths to kind of like even get her balance. Um, but she stood up right away and then started walking as fast as she could down the hallway towards the treatment room to kind of like show off her new, her newfound freedom. Uh, it's, and it's really encouraging to see that in someone who's 87. It, it's like, you know, you have no excuse to not, not try. You know, the body really does have this amazing capacity to heal, I, I think. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, she had a cane when she first came in. She walked in with a cane for the first few weeks 
you know, would, would come in from the car and have to sit down in the waiting room to rest for a minute before going back to the treating, treatment room. And, um, you know, after I-15 or so treatments. So, so this is... And um, now she comes in for health Now she comes in. She doesn't, she doesn't have her cane anymore. She wow. went in the clinic. You know, over the holidays, she... Got um, sick. Or I, that's not what I was saying. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she, one, one of her main complaints about this thing with her hip was that she felt like she couldn't bake and, and mm. cook in the kitchen anymore because she couldn't stand for long enough to right. do anything because her the pain in her hip or the sciatic thing would flare up. Um, so she was thrilled because over the holidays she could um, do her baking and it didn't cause her a lot of pain. She could go out to the mall with her friends and go shopping. That was another thing that she couldn't do. You know, so that that case was really great, and it really illustrated to me like just how much you know it's important to meet people where they're where they're at with their life and find out like what's important yeah. to you, what's you know what about your life, where is the pain interfering with your life, and what what can we mm. do to help make your life better? So, so that was a really great result. That's a great story, and I guess yeah, it it also got uh, our life back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is also, I guess, it demonstrates the importance of patience, too. Because I think people oh, can tend sure. to kind of like go in, they get one treatment, they're like, no, it didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But it's like, right. no, this might take some time. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and we to not, not get discouraged along mm -hmm. the way, because it's easy to get discouraged, you know, like five treatments in. If you're, if you're getting some relief, but it's kind of not enough to persuade you that it's really worth it, you know. Mm. You give it at least five or six treatments if you're trying acupuncture. And if, if by the fourth, fifth, sixth treatment, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think it might be doing something. You know, I felt better, but then I felt worse. It's definitely working. You know, mm. keep, keep at it for a, a little while longer. Um, most people by 12 or 15 treatments are feeling a lot better. You know, like mm -hmm. 75, 85, 90% better in terms of like main symptoms. Wow. Um, and it could be could be pain, could be stress, could be, you know, we we have had you know it, it doesn't work you know we've had definitely had some people that we haven't been able to help as much as we we want to. Sure. But but that's that's sort of in general. Um, yeah, I think that's par for the course. Like not every modality is going to work for everybody. Right. Right, and you know, new things happen. Like sometimes, uh, especially with physical ailments. If you have knee pain, and you know, if you have knee pain, just walking around, you can aggravate it. Or mm -hmm. people, the weather aggravates it. So, um, but yeah, diet definitely. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, diet <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of diet, like that, uh, this lady that had that great recovery, or the guy, did they change anything about their diet? Because I know there's a lot of people who say, like, oh, this one diet will help everything. You know, just mm -hmm. eat meat or just be a vegan or just do this or do that or right. don't eat that and everything will be fine. But acupuncture shows that sometimes it's more than just what you put in your <laughs> mouth. There's a bunch of other stuff going on behind the scenes that you need to address. And right. sometimes it's in a, the one place that you look last. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the major categories of disease, like causes of disease and Chinese medicine, um, we talk about external causes of disease and internal causes of, of disease. So an external cause of disease would be like 
your diet. Your diet's mm -hmm. bad. You know, you're drinking too much, or um, you're eating too much processed food, or you know, you're eating a food that you have an allergy to. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also internal causes of disease, so that can be emotions. You know, and and we're not talking about like normal, normal everyday emotions, but like, you know, say internalized rage that's just right. buried in the body that you hold on to for years and years and years, you know, and that can that can cause a lot of problems in the body, um, it can, with all kinds of things, but. But basically, you know, that's that's something that we always look at. Well, and, and stress. I mean, stress affects the digestive system hugely. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I've seen people's, you know, some of their food sensitivities improve when mm. they're reducing their stress level. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, happened for sure. even with, with for me. Yeah, multiple. I've seen multiple cases of that. Mm -hmm. But this this uh, particular case with the um, older lady, no, we didn't we didn't recommend any dietary changes or anything like that I mean yeah, it was just acupuncture we didn't we didn't I well we did a little M test but yeah so we basically try to um, we I would say we we're both pretty conservative in the way that we treat you know we mm -hmm. try to go with the least invasive treatments and then uh, if we're not getting results then we'll recommend more um, unless there's something really obvious you know sometimes somebody comes in because we you know we always do an initial intake and if we're not getting some results so we'll, it will start digging some more and you know you get to know somebody over the course of the first few treatments um, but mm -hmm. oftentimes we just start with acupuncture and see if that gets us anywhere and then if somebody's you know doing pretty well and we'll start with really simple treatments a lot of times um, uh, and if that works then but these simple, quote-unquote, simple treatments are like really tried and true um, mm -hmm. foundational treatments, not just like yeah. So <laughs> it's like not simplistic. I would yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's like you know address the person's stress. So what's going on here? Right. Is it as simple as they right? Like the case stress? of the calcaneus bone. When I said I treated as stress, you know, that that was that was the, you know four really well-known points. To, to address most, you know, this type of stress with this type of pulse and this type of patient. So. Right. Well, anyway. we're coming up on our time here. Um, yep. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add or tell people about the wonders of acupuncture? <laughs> I think your questions pretty much covered um, what I was thinking we might get into today. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for being here. It was a yeah, uh, really interesting good, uh, discussion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Maybe in another year we can have you guys on again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you might have some more stories by then. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll probably have a lot more stories by then. I mean, I think uh, our clinic's pretty busy. We see um, up you know, to 100. We maybe. get anywhere from 70 to 100 patient visits per week. So, wow yeah that's a lot yeah so we're we're pretty busy you know we see like each of us probably we see 10 to 15 patients every day that works so and maybe we should uh plug your uh, clinic if people are in the rhode island area where should they go yes. our our clinic is called opus total health 
Uh, it's in West Greenwich, Rhode Island, uh, and the website is opustotalhealth.com. Um, you can look us up on there, and um, if you have any questions about acupuncture or Chinese medicine, you know, please feel free to reach out. Reach out to us. Info at opustotalhealth.com. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or you have a you jingle. Can start a conversation on the forum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should. <laughs> um, we actually, uh, the guy we we took the clinic over from, um, one of the main ways that we advertise is on the radio. So if you're in Rhode Island, you might hear one of our radio ads. Oh, great. WPRO. <laughs> Tune in, folks. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Doug, and thank you, Tiffany. Thanks, Erica. Sure. Thank oh, you, yeah, guys. <laughs> Hi. Oh, thanks for posting the link in the chat. No worries. Cool. Cool. Well, well, I guess next time. indeed. Okay, well, I guess that's our show. Or are we, do we think we have enough time for the pet health segment, Tiff? I think we could. Okay, why don't we go to the pet health segment with Zoya, where she's going to be talking about the his, human history from the perspective of cats. That's ought to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week we are going to take a look at human history from the perspective of our feline companions. As it happens, it looks at times pretty hairy from this particular angle. Have a great weekend and goodbye! On May 27, 1941, the German battleship Bismarck sank in a fierce firefight, leaving only 118 of her 2,200 crew members alive. But when a British destroyer came to collect the prisoners, they found an unexpected survivor. A black and white cat clinging to a floating plank. For the next several months, this cat hunted rats and raised British morale until a sudden torpedo strike shattered the hull and sank the ship but miraculously not the cat. Meow. Nicknamed Unsinkable Sam, he rode to Gibraltar with the rescued crew and served as a ship cat on three more vessels, one of which also sank Meow. before retiring to the Belfast home for sailors. Many may not think of cats as serviceable sailors or cooperative companions of any kind, but cats have been working alongside humans for thousands of years, helping us just as often as we help them. So how did these solitary creatures go from wild predator to naval officer to sofa sidekick? The domestication of the modern house cat can be traced back to more than 10,000 years ago in the Fertile Crescent at the start of the Neolithic era. People were learning to bend nature to their will, producing much more food than farmers could eat at one time. These Neolithic farmers stored their excess grain in large pits and short clay silos. But these stores of food attracted hordes of rodents, as well as their predator, Felis sylvestris libica, the wildcat found across North Africa and Southwest Asia. These wildcats were fast, fierce, carnivorous hunters, and they were remarkably similar in size and appearance to today's domestic cats. The main differences being that ancient wildcats were more muscular, had striped coats, and were less social towards other cats and humans. 
The abundance of prey in rodent-infested greeneries drew in these typically solitary animals. And as the wildcats learned to tolerate the presence of humans and other cats during mealtime, we think that farmers likewise tolerated the cats in exchange for free pest control. The relationship was so beneficial that the cats migrated with Neolithic farmers from Anatolia into Europe and the Mediterranean. Vermin were a major scourge of the Seven Seas. They ate provisions and gnawed at lines of rope, so cats had long since become essential sailing companions. Around the same time these Anatolian globetrotting cats set sail, the Egyptians domesticated their own local cats. Revered for their ability to dispatch venomous snakes, catch birds and kill rats, domestic cats became important to Egyptian religious culture. They gained immortality in frescoes, hieroglyphs, statues and even tombs mummified alongside their owners. Egyptian ship cats cruise the Nile, holding poisonous river snakes at bay. And after graduating to larger vessels, they too began to migrate from port to port. During the time of the Roman Empire, ships travelling between India and Egypt carried the lineage of the Central Asian wildcat, F.S. Ornata. Centuries later, in the Middle Ages, Egyptian cats voyaged up to the Baltic Sea on the ships of Viking seafarers, and both the Near Eastern and North African wildcats, probably tamed at this point, continued to travel across Europe, eventually setting sail for Australia and the Americas. Today, most house cats have descended from either the Near Eastern or the Egyptian lineage of F.S. Libica. But close analysis of the genomes and coat patterns of modern cats tells us that unlike dogs, which have undergone centuries of selective breeding, modern cats are genetically very similar to ancient cats. And apart from making them more social and docile, we've done little to alter their natural behaviours. In other words, cats today are more or less as they've always been. Wild animals, fierce hunters, creatures that don't see us as their keepers. And given our long history together, they might not be wrong. If you love cats as much as we do, check out these lessons for more fun facts on our feline friends. <laughs> wow, that was pretty good. I never knew that. Yeah, I couldn't I think of anything Mike... to say about the goats at the end there. <laughs> I thought my cat was only good for escorting me to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Protecting yeah. you from rodents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or begging for food. <laughs> well, that is our show for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Big thanks to James Linnea. That was a great yeah. show. Yes, Thanks again. Thank you. Very interesting. And uh, be sure to tune into the other two SOT radio shows. Uh, tomorrow there is The Truth Perspective, and on Sunday there is Newsreel. Until next week, when we'll have another exciting topic, have a good week. Bye. Bye.